this elementary school building to pause, focus on the death of Jesus Christ. And tonight I'm going to be sharing with you the story of, uh, of Jesus' death. And it is very graphic. And I'm going to be using some images up here and I'm going to be talking about blood. And so I just wanted to say that if there's anybody that um, can't stomach that kind of thing, like if you have to get up and leave, that's totally fine at any time. Um, I know that, that's, uh, that that can be challenging for some people. Blood has a voice, doesn't it? When you see blood, don't you think, whoa, 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 what happened? There's something behind that. There, 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 there's meaning. What, what happened there? Like, you know, if you, you see like your child's nosebleed or a hand get cut or a, a skin knee, you think, oh no, there's blood. It's alarming, isn't it? Just blood, just the idea, the image, the picture in the moment. When I was a kid, there was a friend of ours lived down the street named Steve, and he used to come over to our house all the time, and we had this 10-foot wall around our, 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 the back of our house in the patio, and and one day we got a knock on the door and Steve came to the door and he had been walking and crawling around this wall. It was about 10 feet high and he fell and he smacked his head and, and he was bleeding intensely and he didn't realize it until it started dripping on him. He knocked on the door and when we opened the door, his blood had covered his face. And, and, and we were just in panic and, and even though it was just a small cut, it was a lot of blood and it, it just says something, doesn't it? Blood has a voice. When, when, when blood gets spilt, when, when blood, you know, leaves the human body, we, we kind of go, whoa, 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 what's going on? You think about this, like, have you ever given blood? It's a big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal to give blood. I, I was watching Jeopardy the other day, and there was a woman that, like, devoted, like, half of her life to helping people get the blood they need, and she runs one of the Red Cross blood trucks, and she said, it's just such a big deal, and we'll do this every night. You know, once a week we'll do it, and, and only one person will come, but that's a lot. When that one person comes and they give blood, that blood says something. Blood has a voice. It has meaning. It says something. Blood speaks. And in Scripture, blood has been speaking since the beginning. The first humans on earth were created by God in the image of God, Adam and Eve. And in the story that a lot of us know and some of us don't, they made a decision to turn their back on God. And when they did that, this brokenness entered into the world. And it really is it, it said simply this way. It's a brokenness between us and God, the relationship. And then that brokenness plays out in relationships with one another. Sin brokenness came into the world. And then Adam and Eve, they had children. They had two little boys, Cain and Abel. And because of Adam and Eve and their interaction with God and what happened when they fell and they, they disappointed God, they learned how to worship God the right way. And they learned that there had to be the death of an animal for worship to be done appropriately. And their kids, Cain and Abel, they started to learn how to worship God. And the scriptures teach us that Cain, he was a person that worked in farming and the soil and that he worked in vegetation and that his brother Abel, he worked with livestock and animals. And apparently, like, 
At some point, they both were worshiping God and God communicated to them that the sacrifice that Cain was bringing was not okay because it was just vegetation, but the sacrifice that Abel was bringing was the right way because it was the blood of an animal. It was the death of an animal that was, was being offered to God. It's very beginning, crazy to think about. What happened is, is because God said, Cain, that's not okay. Abel, good job. Apparently, Cain got jealous. And one day, off in a field, Cain rose up and he killed his brother and left him laying in a field and his blood spilt all over the ground of that field. And when Cain went back to his family and to God, they asked, Where, where's your brother? Where's Abel? Where'd he go? And he said, I don't know where he is. Famous line, I'm not my brother's keeper. That's where it comes from. I'm not my brother's keeper. And God and Adam and Eve figured out that Cain killed Abel, and God spoke to them. He said, Cain, when you rose up and killed your brother, his blood spilled on the ground. His blood spilt from his body in that field. And you may think that in that moment when you killed him, that that was the end of his crying, that he, he cried out one time and it was over. But God said to Cain in that moment, he said, his blood on the ground speaks. He said, actually, his blood cries out. God said, Cain, the blood of your brother Abel is speaking. There was a curse put on Cain and this kind of weird protection that God did for him and a mark on his body and his whole life changed because of this moment. And Abel's blood speaks. And what it speaks is it speaks something that all of us in this room really understand. It speaks brokenness. It speaks murder. It speaks hate. It speaks frustration. It says Oh, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You hear it? It says, this is not how this was supposed to be. This is not how relationships were supposed to be. If the relationship with God was the way it was supposed to be, then people wouldn't kill each other. And if the relationship with God was the way it was supposed to be, then blood wouldn't spill upon the ground this way. And the blood of Abel fell on the ground, and it represented something. It said something. It said, we're in trouble. It said, our relationships are broken. Our attitudes are broken. Our hearts are broken. Our relationship with God is broken. And because that, we rise up, we hurt one another. And the blood of Abel speaks. Can you hear it? You heard it this week. You heard it this week frustration, anger, bitterness towards somebody that you are supposed to love and know and be with. And it speaks. And essentially, if, if the voice of Abel's blood said one thing, it would say death. Death. Separation. The word death means separation. Brokenness. Brokenness between God and man and brokenness between man to man. And as, as 
The scriptures unravel the story of God on planet Earth. God, through Adam and Eve, at some point, through an offspring of an offspring of an offspring, generations after generations, he created a group of people called the Israelites who were his people, who were going to represent God's love to the world through this nation. And these people, they ended up in slavery. They ended up in a place called Egypt. And they lived in Egypt, generation after generation of God's people lived in Egypt in slavery. 400 years they were in slavery. And at a certain point, God said, no, no, no. I am going to deliver my people. I'm going to bring them out. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to give them freedom. I'm going to give them a hope. I'm going to give them the place that they need to be. I'm going to give them a future. I'm going to give them all the things that they need. There's no way I'm going to let my people stay in slavery any longer. And he rose up one man that a lot of us know, Moses. Moses, you're going to be my mouthpiece to go and tell the leadership of Egypt that my people need to be let go. And God let Moses be the communicator for him. And God let Moses be kind of the deliverer of great signs and wonders to try to communicate to the people of Egypt and the leadership there, Pharaoh, that God is powerful and that he will have his day and he is going to get the people out. And so when God used Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, you got to let my people go or else... Then all these plagues came over the land of Egypt. And maybe you've heard about them, flies and locusts and frogs and blood in the water and all kinds of stuff. And, and then at the very end, there was this last and final plague. And God said to Moses, you can go to him one more time. You can go to the leadership, go to Pharaoh and say this. And he went to him and he said, here's the deal. God wants his people to be set free. And he's going to communicate it to you. And, and I'm telling you, you please, you need to get this. And so Moses stood before Pharaoh on behalf of God, and he said this. He said, Pharaoh, I'm telling you, God wants all of these people to, to be set free. And so in a couple of days, there's going to be this, this amazing experience that, that's going to change your world. And, and what's going to happen is the Spirit of God is going to come through the city of Egypt. He's gonna come through the city of Egypt and the Spirit of God is gonna come to every house, every door. Israelites, Egyptians, he's coming to every single door. And when he comes to the door, he's gonna look at it. And if he sees just a door, just a door with nothing on it, then the Spirit is going to move into this household and the firstborn child of whoever is in this household, whatever family, whatever the firstborn, this household, even if the firstborn is 20 years old or two months old, no matter what, the firstborn child is going to die. Moses said to Pharaoh, I'm telling you, he's coming to every house. And if, there, if there's a firstborn child and he goes to that door and he enters into that house, it's not going to be a good day and not going to be a good night for whoever lives in this house. But Moses said, but here, that's not it. There's actually a way out. He says, all you have to do, he said, all you have to do is take a lamb. Take just a lamb. And you're going to sacrifice that lamb. And you're going to take the blood of that lamb. And all you have to do on your door is put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts 
and the lintel or the top of the door and the other doorpost. And what will happen is, is when the Spirit of God comes through town, he's going to come to every door, and when he sees this blood, he's going to pass over the door. And everybody inside will be saved. Why? Because he's going to see this blood. And this blood is going to speak. Because blood has a voice. It's going to say, this house is covered. It's going to say, move on. It's going to say, pass along. Move to the next house. Because there's been a lamb that has been killed. And the blood of that lamb has been placed on this door. And therefore, nothing in it deserves to die. Because something has died in its place. So that night, all the Israelite people... They took the blood of a lamb and they put it on their doors, but the Egyptian people didn't. They didn't listen. And that night it says in Scripture that there was more wailing and weeping than has ever happened in history because firstborn children of all the Egyptians died, including the Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt. And at that moment, he let the people go. And hundreds of thousands of people walked out of Egypt towards freedom because the blood of the lamb spoke it said you have a future the blood of this said it's okay you're gonna make it there's something better coming blood has a voice it says go 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 into the land that God has for you when this blood spoke it said hope it said you have hope you don't have to live in slavery anymore. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to stay here anymore. You're not going to be like your grandpa or your grandpa's grandpa and end up here forever and be in slavery. No, 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 no. Your future is bright. Your future is going to be better because blood has a voice. And this blood said, hope. You have a and when the people left, God told the people of, of Israel as they're leaving, he said, now, I don't want you to forget this. I don't want you to forget this. Every year, I want you to take your best lamb, and I want you to slaughter that lamb, and I want you to have its blood spilt, and I want you to go and eat that, that lamb and, and spices and bread, and I want you to sit down together, and I want you to remember how God's... Uh, purpose was for the blood of a lamb to speak truth and hope into your life. And I want you to sit down together and remember every single year the Passover. So hundreds and hundreds of years, the Israelite people remembered and celebrated Passover. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ who was born in this miraculous fashion that a lot of us know we celebrated Christmas walked on water and healed a bunch of people, he went to Jerusalem during the Passover feast. And during the week of Passover, which would have been last night on a Thursday night, he sat down with his closest friends, friends that had really fallen in love with him, not just because he was a good guy and fun and, and, and he could walk on water and he had all kinds of tricks, but because he was God. And the people were like, Whoa, I want to be with this guy. And he's Jewish. 
And he went to Jerusalem with his friends to celebrate the Passover. And he sat with his friends and they had wine and they had bread and they had lamb and they sat there. And in the middle of this Passover remembrance, Jesus said to his closest friends, he said, guys, my blood is going to be spilt for you. I know, I know that we're all sitting here remembering this, and this blood has something to say. This blood says hope, but my blood is going to be spilt for you. The way that the Passover lamb was spilt for you, and it gave you hope, I, I, I'm the lamb. And they're, they're remembering three years ago when John the Baptist saw Jesus, and he was baptizing people, and there were people looking around, and Jesus walked over a hill, and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He said, I am that. My blood's going to be spilt. My body's going to be broken. And they sang songs together and they celebrated and they left there and they went to a place called Gethsemane, a garden where they would always go and pray and be and Jesus would teach and all kinds of stuff happened there. And he said, guys, go over and just kind of watch for me because I know I just told you that my, my blood is going to be spilt for you, but it's getting really, really close. So I'm going to go and pray. And they're all like full, right? Because they just had like this big meal. So they go over by a tree and they pass out and fall asleep. And Jesus doesn't pass out. Jesus goes over and he gets on his knees and the 100% man part of God just clashes, collides into the 100% God part of Jesus and it just comes together. And in this moment, the mission of him spilling his blood for you and for me starts to really become a reality and he's afraid. This was last night at about 10 p.m., 11 p.m. And he fell on the ground and because he's 100% man, he's afraid. He's going, I'm going to die a brutal death. And he's talking to God and he's pouring out his heart to God. And as he's pouring out his heart to God, he starts to pour out sweat mixed with blood. And when the blood of Jesus mixed with sweat dripped down his face and splashed onto the ground for the first time, it spoke. And it said, I am here for you. I am going to see this through. You guys, blood has a voice. It has meaning. Jesus, why is your blood mixed with your sweat falling on the ground? Because it's here to bring a message. It's going to be spilt for you, so yours doesn't have to. And about midnight, Judas, one of his followers who had betrayed him, brings a bunch of temple guards with swords and torches, and they come in the middle of the night to Jesus in Gethsemane, and they wrap him up with, with, uh, with, with rope and chains, and they drag him away to stand trial for calling himself God. And as they're dragging him away, they start to mock him. They start to kind of be brutal with him, right? He's a prisoner. Maybe they punch him, maybe they elbow him, and maybe his eye splits open. And as his eye splits open, the first blood on his face really gets potent. It's not, it's not as much sweat, now it's mainly blood, and it starts to drip down into his eye. And as Jesus is looking at the people that he's dying through, he's seeing them through red-colored glasses. 
Because the blood in his eye is speaking, I'm here for these people. The lens I see these people through is through my blood. And I love them. And he goes and stands before the leadership of Jerusalem, the Jewish leadership. Seventy men in this thing called the Sanhedrin, and they try to get him to say something wrong, and he won't say anything wrong. And there's temple guards, and they're dragging him around. And they basically try him during the Passover week when it's illegal to try him, but they do it anyway because they don't want Jesus to get a following like he already has and like they think he will. So they kind of take some stuff that he said from the past and say, yeah, that's enough. He said he's going to destroy the temple. That's wrong. we got to take him to the Roman leadership because they're in charge. So Caiaphas, the high priest, drags him over to a man named Pilate who represents Rome, who oversees Jerusalem. And he stands before this man. And while he's talking to Pilate, there's a group of men that are sitting over kind of in his palace area just outside, four men who specialize in crucifixion, and they're called the death squad. And these men sit at tables and live in barracks, and they feed and eat and rest all day so that the next day they can take people and nail them to a cross. And Pilate is sitting with this man named Jesus who the religious leaders want. They really want him to die. And Pilate's going, I don't want him to die because I'm trying to keep order in Jerusalem and there's tension between the Romans and the the Jewish people. And if he dies, then they might get upset. But they have this band of Jewish leaders, 70, 150, that are all committed to seeing Jesus die because people like Jesus more than they like them. So they stand before Pilate and they say, come on, crucify him. It actually took place outside of Pilate's house. He's up on this kind of, this this balcony of sorts. And the Jewish leadership is down on on the front of their grass or their their front yard because they can't come into Pilate's house because it's Roman. And if it does, they defile themselves. So they're standing out there and they're screaming up and they're going, he needs to be put to death. Jesus is standing there and Pilate has a conversation with them. And he tries to get him to say certain things because there's just no reason. And the people are jeering and the leadership want him to die. And he's caught in this tension, right? And so to try to please both, he says, I'm going to have him whipped. And so the brute squad, squad, the death squad, jumps up. They grab Jesus and they take him over to another courtyard. They rip his clothes off of him. And they take him up to a four-foot post with a ring, and his hands are tied together, and they tie his hands above his head to this four-foot post. And these four men, one watching him, keeping him in the right position, and two over here, one on deck, they take a cat of nine tails with big pieces of rock and stone in the back of it, and they whip Jesus. They're so skilled at whipping Jesus that Jesus' back for 39 lashes always has a whip on it. Because as soon as the one is done, the other guy starts. And they just go back and forth and back and forth. And the other one waits here until one of them is tired. And as the first one goes, he replaces himself and they just keep going. And it's actually believed that the way that they would whip people was so unbelievably terrible that the body would just kind of shred up like in a paper shredder. And that 
what would happen is this whip would wrap around them and pull pieces of flesh off. And then when they did a really good job, you could see their skeleton and their bowels. And some believe that Pilate had them back down and just had some, like, some, some stones in there. And so he didn't get completely mangled that way, but he was whipped 39 times. He didn't look like a human. You've seen this, right, in, in, in the movies? The whip around his face, around his legs, his whole body was whipped. And then the, the death squad, they're just the professional killers. They move him over, and, and you gotta just see, I just want you to just picture, right, because blood has a voice. So Jesus has just been whipped 39 times in this brutal way by these professional killers, and his blood is dripped all over the ground. And as it's dripping on the ground, you have Romans who are religiously practicing death, and Jesus' blood is killing religion. And it's saying, you don't have to be perfect anymore because my blood is being shed for you. And they take Jesus over to the side and they grab some thorns that are three inches and they twist them together. This death squad, these guys, these Romans, they twist them together, probably cut their own hands. These thorns are so sharp and they put it on Jesus's head and they pound it into his head. And when the thorns go into Jesus's head, it goes past the first layer into the nerve endings into Jesus's head. Painful. As it goes into his head, his scalp breaks open and more blood comes down his face. And it's speaking, right? It's alarming. Jesus, why? What does your blood have to say? I love you. I'm not going to let you go through this. I'm going to go through this for you. And this Romans take him back to Pilate. Jewish leadership is still there. And Pilate's caught between a rock and a hard place. And he's wanting a way out. And he actually has three men that deserve to be crucified. One's named Barabbas and two other criminals that are probably accomplices with Barabbas. And there's a custom, right, that the leader of Jerusalem is allowed to let one of these people go, that they can exchange somebody, they can let him go. You might have heard this. And there's four guys, right? So Pilate kind of moves to that, and he goes, one of these guys we can let go. We're allowed to let one of these guys go. And he's thinking this Jesus guy who just simply fed a lot of people, walked on water, healed the blind and the lame, hasn't done anything wrong, hasn't really caused that much of a ruckus. He's certain that Jewish leadership is going to say, let, let Jesus go, but they don't. They don't say let Jesus go. They say let the criminal, let Barabbas go. And in that moment, the life of Jesus replaces a criminal. He takes the place of a criminal. Pilate doesn't like their decision, but the die is cast. And he washes his hands. He says, this is not me. This is not my decision. This is your decision. Let him be crucified. And Jesus gets dragged away by this death squad. And what happens is, is they tear his clothes off and they put a 70 pound beam on his back that's unfinished wood. His back is shredded and he puts 
this beam on it. And Jesus was a carpenter, so he understood this is just not going to be possible because I haven't eaten since the Last Supper, and I haven't slept in a day, and I just got my life taken out of me by this cat of nine tails, and he's going, I don't know how I'm going to make the half-mile journey to the little skull, the mountain of the skull where they're going to crucify me. But Jesus takes this piece of wood, and he drags it through the streets, and as he drags it through the streets, the blood of his back is on the wood, and it goes down onto the ground, and he falls down, and they, he, he can't even carry it. They have to get someone else to help him carry the wood. And when he finally gets up to the top of this mountain, this little hill just outside of the city, this death squad is just getting started. And they take him and they throw him on the ground, they take that cross beam and they lay his back on it. Just like this, they lay him down, they spread his arms out. And the cross beam has kind of lived as a piece that he's carrying and now he's going to be carried by the cross beam. And he's laying on the ground and these Roman soldiers get on top of Jesus while he's, he's, he's completely destroyed physically and they get on top of him and they, they get on top of his right arm and they take six inch nails that are square with a flat head and they, they pound them through the bones in his wrist, through his wrist into a piece of wood. And when the blood comes out of his wrist, it goes down the nail and through the hole on the piece of wood. And as the blood hits the ground it speaks it says my arms are open for you I'm here for you the blood of Jesus has a voice it's it's a powerful voice and they move over without hesitation to his right arm and they nail him down and then they lift him up and there's a little notch on the vertical piece of wood that's sitting in the ground that the cross beam can sit right into and gravity just holds Jesus right into place on a cross. And then they see that normally uh, they would have a little piece of wood for Jesus but he doesn't have a piece of wood today so they take both of his feet and they cross them and they nail the same nail through both of his feet into the wood and his blood drips onto the ground. His hands are dripping with blood. His crown is dripping with blood. His back is dripping with blood. And every single drop of blood says, you and me don't have to die. You see, blood has a voice. The blood of Abel said, oh, we're in trouble. The blood of the Passover lamb said, there's hope. The blood of Jesus says, you get eternal life. You see, something has to die for your sin. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the people of Israel celebrated the death of a lamb that set them free from physical slavery, from national slavery. And now they all get to see Jesus Christ hanging on a cross whose blood is splashing on the ground and it is saying you get to live in heaven forever. You get to be set free 
from eternal separation from God because of Jesus' blood. His blood speaks. You, you, you just, you just got to get this picture. Jesus is, is hanging on the cross. And he has a couple of things to say. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right, famous last words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No matter what they do to me, I don't care. I'm here to forgive them. I'm here to set them free. I'm here to be an example of hope and give them a reality of eternal life. This is me. Forgive them. It doesn't matter. I forgive them. Then he, he, he sits up there for a while, and he then, in one moment, and you just have to get this right, he looks up into heaven, and, and he's hanging on the cross, and his blood is, is dripping to the ground, and it's speaking love, and it's speaking life, and, 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 and he says this. He says, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? And when he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, God had put the sin of the world on his son. And he said, my son is paying for all the sins of the world. And therefore, he has taken the weight of the sin of the world, and he has become sin. He's become sin, and God can have nothing to do with sin. And so in that moment, when Jesus says, God, why have you forsaken me? What's really happening is Jesus has become sin for us, and God can have nothing to do with that. And he's in that moment, the Son of God, and he doesn't have his Father. Jesus lost his Father for you. He said, I'll take their sin, I'll do it, I'll take the, the, the fall for them, so they don't have to take the fall. And at that moment, all of our sin was paid for from his blood. And then he sits there and he, he says, Father, into your hands I give my spirit. And he died. And you just, you just gotta get this picture, right? Several hundred years earlier, the people of Israel were set free from the blood of a lamb and it was blood that went on the doorpost and it set him free from slavery. And now Jesus is on a cross that sets people free with his blood for eternal life. And you gotta get this picture. While Jesus is on this cross, he's at eye level with the temple in Jerusalem. While the Lamb of God is being crucified and his blood is falling to the ground, the people of Israel, the pilgrims, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims from all over the land have come to Jerusalem to take a lamb and slaughter that lamb right in the temple. While Jesus is screaming out, some of the people in the temple could hear his voice screaming out over the screaming of lambs being sacrificed at temple. When Jesus died for our sins, he died with this picture of religion, this, this process that all of us had to go through. Some lamb had to die, and he said, it's done. And he said, it is finished. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to sacrifice a lamb. You don't have to go to temple. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to be perfect. Here, my blood, it speaks. You're free. You're good. I've done it. I've done everything you need to do. Stop. You don't have to go through this anymore. Jesus' blood speaks. 
Here's what one of the prevailing authors of the New Testament said 50 years after Jesus died. He said to Jesus, he's talking about people coming to Jesus. People that come to Jesus, they come to the negotiator of a new promise and to the one and, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, the blood of Abel spoke, it spoke death. The blood of the Passover said, there's hope. The blood of Jesus says life. It speaks a better word, it's better, it's good. Good Friday. Yes. We have to stop. We have to remember why we're here. We have to look at this picture. We have to go, okay. He died at my place. Here's another translation. I love this. It says, the murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's homicide, that cried out for vengeance, became a proclamation of grace. Jesus' death says, you get something that you don't deserve. Because I took what you did deserve and died in your place. You guys, the blood of Jesus speaks. It says you're going to be okay. It says if, if you fall in love with him, he's like, I, I died for you. My blood has a voice, and it's better than all the other blood that's ever been spilled. It, it actually accomplishes something. All the other blood represents brokenness. My blood brings salvation. Blood has a voice. I want to take a minute. I want to just look at this picture and I want to sing a song with you guys called Nothing But The Blood. It's a song that I used to sing all the time and We've never, I don't think we've ever done it at this church. But the, the band's going to come out and we're going to sing this song together. And we're going to focus on the beauty and the sound of the blood of Jesus. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing. Father, you're amazing. This story, this, this history, this truth, this reality, this this. This voice, this sound that we hear as you speak life to us with your death. Help us not as Christians, as Christ followers, to forget, to think, to think little of this moment at this time. Help us to remember your blood. It just speaks freedom. It just speaks life. God, you're so good. For those of us in here that don't know that you're good. I pray right now that, that, that God, you just move in people's hearts. That, you, that they would look at this picture and go, he did that for me? He did that for me? Are you serious? His blood was spilled for me? God, right now we're going we're gonna to take some time and we're going to sing. We're going to focus on you. Thank you so much. Thank you that we can come to you now. Because of your blood.